Hello, a very warm welcome to Sketch Therapist. It's the podcast that improves your sketch life. I'm your host, Roshan Curé, and in today's episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit about ink. Making it, buying it, using it. I love ink. Back as a 17-year-old, I entered the, the, the gates of the National College of Art and Design for the first time. I was lucky to be accepted there and I spent a year doing a foundation course. My God, what a heady year. What a heady year to to be surrounded by people who you suddenly recognise as your tribe after having always been a bit of a weirdo and a bit odd and a bit too much in every respect. Suddenly, everybody's the exact same as you. It's great. It was absolutely brilliant. But one of the cool things that the teachers designed for us to do, they were really brilliant tutors. They were. They were excellent. Didn't always uh, see eye to eye. But um, I'm looking at a copy now on my screen of a painting that the guys in the college assigned groups of us to do. And the one that I got was we had to reproduce a huge life size canvas of whatever painting we were given. I think we might have been in groups of four or maybe we were individuals. Don't remember. Long time ago. But the one I was given was Rembrandt's Woman Bathing in a Stream. And the idea was that we would make a life-size canvas and paint it in oils. And then when it was done, we would cut out a part of the canvas and put in, replace it with a bit of our body. So we'd kind of stand there on the other side of the canvas and stick a bit of ourselves in. So, for example, the woman bathing in the stream, she has um, um, she has a kind of a, an undershirt on, a white undershirt, and she's hitched up the two sides of the front of it so that she can, I don't know, wander through the stream and bathe. Um, and I, I, I have this idea that it was my legs that I stood in for the leg bit. Kind of look my, like my legs, actually. A little bit chunkier than mine. Um, yeah, a good bit chunkier than mine. So there you go. Look at those legs and they're, imagine way less chunkiness. Or am I flattering myself? And you've got, you've got my legs. And of course, I've got a massive scar on my left knee from a motorbike accident. Um, which the model doesn't. Anyway, never mind that. Um, I really enjoyed it and it was one of my first uh, attempts with oils and not that far off being my last. I've done it like a bunch of oils, but it's not really my medium, so I haven't done that many. But that was Rembrandt anyway and it was really nice to work with all those deep, deep dark browns and sort of soft burnt siennas and, I don't know, skin tones and dirty whites and all that kind of stuff. It was great crack. It was great crack. Um, don't think the others had to do Rembrandt as well, but I could be wrong on that. Maybe you all did Rembrandt. But anyway, that was what I had to do. And roll on, th- hang on, 17, 27, 37, 47, roll on 33 years um, to 2019. And 2000, I don't know, whatever, 2019. Um, well, 2018, uh, submissions were, there was a call for submissions from urban sketchers across the world to come up with a proposal to teach at the 10th Urban Sketching Symposium that was to take place in July 2019. So I thought, yes, I definitely want to teach at the symposium because apart from all the crack of hanging out with the other instructors, you also get everything, all your expenses taken care of, your flights and your accommodation. And, you know, when you are a budding urban sketcher with only that and that alone as your career and an artistry in general, all those kind of things are very welcome. So in order to be sub- to accepted for the submission, you have to, for, for a proposal, it's, it's wise to come up with something 
that is a little bit creative and something that nobody else is going to do. Because if you do something that like, say, for example, you want to do, I don't know, people on the move. Well, you're going to be in competition with lots of other instructors who are also doing proposals for people on the move. Um, so I, I, I wasn't even really conscious of that. And by the way, if you're making a submission to the 11th Urban Sketching Symposium that is to take place in Auckland, New Zealand next April. Well, maybe it's a little hint to uh, when you're making your symposium submission. Um, I was accepted for the last two that I submitted for. So, uh, so, so there you go. So I'm not the worst person in the world to give you a little tip on being successful. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Make something that's a little bit unusual and you're more likely to get accepted because you want the participants to have fun. It's a workshop after all. Uh, you want them to try something new. That's really important, something new, um, something that will attract them to come and learn something. So I decided that because it was, I think it was maybe the 250th anniversary of Rembrandt's birth, maybe. Mm, that doesn't sound right. Anyway, it was some significant anniversary of Rembrandt in Amsterdam in 2019. So it was it was a very special time to hold the symposium there if you were, you know, a big fan of Rembrandt. Now, whilst I did do that massive painting back in the day, um, of the woman bathing in the stream. What really attracts me to Rembrandt are his drawings. His drawings are absolutely stunning. One of my favourite drawings I've ever seen in the whole world is a little drawing of um, a woman with a child. I think it might be two women with a child between them and the child is taking its first steps. And it's just a quick dashed off sketch from life. And it's done in ink. It's done in pen and ink. So I decided, I don't know how I got the idea, but I decided that I would make some ink of the sort that would have been used by Rembrandt. I'd make a huge big vat of ink and I would bring a sample of ink to each of the each of the workshop participants. This is my proposal. And not alone that, but I would also make quills of the type that Rembrandt would have used to draw. And then here's the bit. Here's the here's the absolute uh what's the word? <laughs> the absolute icing on the cake. The clink clincher clincher that's the word here's the clincher it would take place at the statue of rembrandt in rembrandt's platz is that what it's called uh the square that has a big statue of rembrandt in it in the middle of amsterdam see and we would draw the statue of rembrandt using our rembrandt ink using our rembrandt quills um and we would learn about light and shadow as it falls on a statue. Now, wasn't that a good workshop? I think that was brilliant. Anyway, it was accepted. So my next task, having been accepted, I really didn't think it would be accepted. I thought it was a bit of a, a wild card, but it was accepted. So my next task was to go and actually make the flippin' ink and make the flippin' quills. I had no idea how to do any of that, but luckily there's this thing called the internet and it tells you how to do pretty much anything. And that's how I found myself in my back garden, climbing oak trees, which we have because uh, Marcel, my husband, planted them back 20 odd years ago. One very cold day in January, planted 500 trees because he's a nutter. But uh, anyway, he he planted all these trees and now we've got this mini forest around the edge of the, the back garden. We have an acre, so there's a lot of, there's, a, there's quite a big, thick strip of forest around the edge. And he got some beautiful oak trees from um, from a really nice woman out in West Galway. 
She's from near Moy Cullen and she is a real organic type person. And she gave him some tiny little organic oak trees that she'd grown herself from acorns. Um, and they did really, really well, actually. I guess well brought up, well husbanded trees are going to have a better chance of survival. And they did extremely well. And they all have, they're all tall and strong and they're all covered in oak apples. So oak galls. Now you might know without me having to tell you what an oak apple is. It's a little round wooden thing. I was crazy about these things as a kid. There was something about them. Little round wooden spheres. I just adored them. I I, I, I really loved them. I don't know why. Just the aesthetics of them. I loved them. Um, So off I traipsed into the garden. Oh, and before I tell you how I got them. Well, I climbed a tree. The end. That's it. I climbed a tree. Got them. Um. So the way they're the way they're formed is that a, a wasp, the gall wasp, is it the oak gall wasp or something? He comes over and she. Sorry, what am I doing? With my he. She. She comes over, and she injects a little bit of waspy venom into the twig of a branch of an oak tree. Um. And then she, she lays an egg in 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 that spot. And the venom that she squirts into the into the oak branch, it causes a tumour to grow in the tree um, around the egg that she's just laid. So clever. Like how how did wasps work out that they could lay like eggs on a branch of a tree? But if they happened to drop a bit of venom into the branch then the tree would react with the tree. I mean, like how, like how does that work? It's 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 up there with bee orchids being sexy to bees. Like it's just so improbable. It's so improbable. I really can't get my head around that. And I'm not saying I'm a creationist. I'm not. But as a scientist, I'm still saying, I'm still saying I'm going to put my neck out there. I will definitely make a part about this another day, which you can skip if you if you think I'm completely nuts. But I have this idea I have this idea about uh, evolution. Okay, I better not say anything else because I'll be shot down because it's pretty baseless. It's just an idea I have in my head. But anyway, so the wasp lays the this, uh, she lays her eggs and the little piece of tumour grows up around the eggs and it forms, would you believe, the ideal nursery for her younglings, for her larva. And there they grow and there they thrive. And then they make a little hole in the little wooden casing of this tumour and they come out into the big wide world and get on with their extremely henceforth I don't know exciting lives as wasps but as far as I'm concerned the best bit is the fact that they grow in a little wooden nursery made of solid oak I just think that's amazing so it turns out that these little oak galls are full of some kind of a chemical that if crushed and had the the pigment in it leached out makes a brilliant ink so the way you do it is you you acquire your oak galls. You can either pick them up off the ground or you can climb a tree and get them. Or you can maybe get them from someone who's collected them, i.e. my eldest daughter, Honor. Thank you, Honor, for your contribution, your kind contribution. Um, And in the end, I ended up with a really big basin of oak galls. I don't know how many I had. 40, 45, 50, something like that. Um, And the next thing I did was I what did I do? Oh, do you know what I did first? First of all, I soaked them in a jar of water and I soaked them for about a month. And then, okay, I might have got that wrong. Maybe I crushed them with a pestle and mortar first and then soaked them. Yeah, I think I think I think that's what I did. Otherwise, how can you soak them if they're if they're if they're sodden? So I did. I crushed them with a pestle and mortar 
um, into the most fine powder that I could possibly could. So crush, 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 bang, 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 pestle and mortar, fine powder, fine powder. And I put them in a huge, big sealed kilner jar of water and I left them for about a month, maybe two months. Um, didn't put any preservative into the water. Maybe I should have, but I didn't have any issues with mold or anything. Actually, do you know why I probably didn't have any issues with mold? It's probably because the acidity of this crushed oak gall water is probably so high that I don't know, maybe nothing can grow in it, but nothing did grow. And after a month, the water was jet black. So the next thing I had to do was strain it through like a muslin. So I went and got a piece of muslin for my pal. Um, which I hope I replaced. I don't think I did. But anyway, I strained it through a piece of muslin so that there was absolutely no lumps or anything like that in it. It was completely, completely, completely fine and sieved. And then I added iron sulfate, which, or was it ferro- iron sulfide? Iron sulfate, iron sulfate. The one with the, the one with the, okay, again, I'm way, way about out of my depth here. I can't remember whether it's got three oxygens or two oxygens for the sulfate. I think it's three, isn't it? But anyway, never mind that. It's used as a fertilizer and you can get it in garden centers. And it's like a kind of a jade green crystal. And when you mix it with the, when you dissolve it into the, the leachate that you've drawn off your soaked oak gulls water, um, what does it do? Oh, do you know what? That must be the preservative bit. That would be, wouldn't it? That would be. Yeah, that would be, I think. Um, and you mix it into that and then you have to add some gum Arabic to give it a better kind of a consistency because otherwise it's just water. So you add a bit of gum Arabic and it gives a little bit of body. And it's good to use. Now, the only thing is you can't use it in a fountain pen because even though it's wonderfully black and gorgeous. Oh, I think the ferrous sulfate actually makes it more black. Yeah, it does. It does. It was kind of brown until I added the ferrous sulfate. Then it came out really nice and black. Um, and it probably does preserve it as well. Or did I add a preserve? I can't remember. Anyway, you can look it up. So uh, then I made my quills. You can't put this ink that you make into a fountain pen. It will be immediately banjaxed because it's going to corrode the inside of the pen. So probably fountain pens and non-corrosive inks probably came up around the same time, I imagine. A late 19th century? Yeah, 19th century anyway. So this type of ink that I'm talking about, the oak gall ink, that was used from the 5th to the 19th century. So you can imagine that's a flipping long time um, for this type of ink to be used. That's how much it was used. That's how for how long it was used. Now, it isn't, as I say, acid acid free. So it does tend to corrode um, the paper that it's used with. And it, or is it the paper that corrodes the ink? Oh, I tell you, I make up all this stuff and all you have to do is check it. All I had to do was check it. It would have taken me one minute less. So I'm just going to leave the corrosive bit to one side. All I know is you can't put this in a, in a fountain pen because it'll absolutely banjax it. So that didn't matter because they used wonderful disposable pens, in inverted commas, to use with this ink, which of course were goose quills. Now, where was I going to get some goose quills? Well, I got them from a lady who supplied me with my ink at the time. She worked at the writing desk, lovely lady called Anna. Anna and her husband, Martin, run the the writing desk in the UK. And Anna's really nice. She's she's really she was she's always been very good to me, sending me samples of ink for workshops and stuff. And she went out of her way to find me some goose quills. And I I thought in my naivety that I'd be able to get them from some local lad. Um, it was must have been just before the Christmas season was starting. And I figured that there'd be lots of turkeys and goose geese to be 
you know, prepared. So I rang up a turkey supplier because I saw an ad on the road um, in deepest Irish, deepest Galway countryside advertising turkeys, goose and turkeys for Christmas. So I rang the number and the guy's like, I said, listen, I, any chance I could have some of your turkey feathers when you take them off your uh, turkeys and your goose feathers when you take them off the geese? And he said, first of all, he was absolutely baffled. Why would anyone want goose and turkey feathers? But he eventually said, no, he said, you can't. And I said, well, why is there a problem? He said, yeah, he says, the birds apparently are plunged into boiling water to make taking the turkey feathers off more easier more easy and so he explained to me that um that that they they get they get kind of mushy and there wouldn't be any good friend thing after that but you can kind of imagine the keratin or whatever it is in feathers becoming a bit sort of degraded or denatured or whatever and not being very good for writing with but this very nice lady anna in the writing desk she had a friend who uh, first of all, she offered to pick them up on her daily walk, which was so nice of her. I don't know what there was goose feathers doing there. Oh, I think there was geese flying overhead where she walked and they left the odd goose feather behind. I don't know. Can't remember. But anyway, in the end, she had a friend who had a turkey and goose farm. And this friend was so kind and supplied Anna with a huge bunch of goose and turkey feathers, which Anna then sent on to me. So that was so nice. So nice. So here I was with my massive box load of goose and turkey feathers. And what you do is, first of all, you have to toughen them up. So you have to you have to heat. You have to really, really heat the uh, the the tips of the of the quills, and not in boiling water. What you do is you heat them dry. So what I did was I got some sand from the sand pit that we still had knocking around outside the kids' sand pit, and I strained it off because it's full of weeds and stuff. I strained it off and threw a sieve, ruined the sieve, and then I put it in a saucepan and I heated the sand. And when the sand was good and hot, I put the quills tips of the feathers into the sand and I let them sit there for a few minutes until they were good and hot and they became very hard. Um, and then what I did was once they were all done, I took a very strong, very new, strong blade, like a standing knife blade, and I cut them into quill shapes. Again, your internet's your friend there. And I made them into quills. And I must say they were really beautiful. Now you do kind of have to strip off some of the pretty feathers, um, so that your hand isn't kind of put off by all these feathery bits when you're trying to write, even though it looks gorgeous. They don't really, they used to strip them off so they don't look so good. They don't look so good. And then you just dip them into the ink and away you go. So that's what I did. Um, next thing to do was to decant the ink into 45 little containers because there would be three workshops of 15 each. Um, I did that and brought them all in my luggage all the way to Amsterdam and my feathers. Um, and do you know what? That first day, sitting in the roasting sun, because we had this mad heat wave for the few days, the week that we were in Amsterdam, sitting there with surrounded by my lovely students. I, I tend to get really nice students. I'm not going to lie, because like if people like what I do, they tend to be quite sort of not take themselves too seriously, I'm going to say. um, In general, I, I, I get a really lovely caliber of student. I'm very lucky that way. Um, and I was surrounded by all these beautiful, well-meaning, uh, well-disposed people towards me. And uh, and I just looked at them all with their feather quilts, quills and their homemade ink. And Rembrandt, the statue of Rembrandt looming over us and surrounded by all his... What they did was they recreated that famous Rembrandt painting where all those guards, people, the night, night watchmen, Night Watchmen, isn't that what it's called? So they have Rembrandt standing over all these smaller statues 
um, it was really, it was really moving. It was a very, very special and moving moment that here I was, proposals been accepted. People liked the idea of what I'd come up with for them. And it was amazing. And 250 years on, or whatever the number is, Rembrandt was with us as we, as we drew in the exact same materials that he would have used. Oh, it was special. And at the end, like technically, you could just leave it all on the ground and walk away because it's not litter. It's biodegradable. It's just feathers, you know. Who's to say a goose hadn't flown over Rembrandt's Platz? And I hope it's called Rembrandt's Platz. I don't think it is. But uh, who's to say a goose hadn't flown over a turkey and molted on the way? It just felt like you weren't littering, which is a complete first because normally everything you use when you're out and about has to be disposed of sort of safely and cleanly. Now, there was one person, there was one person out of the 45, she was not happy with the workshop. It's funny how you remember the one, the, there's always one, there's always one. It's funny how you remember the one, the one person who's not happy with you. And this lady was not happy at all. Um, she was from, um, well, I won't say where she's from, but she was, she was from somewhere other than the Netherlands or Ireland. I'll just leave it at that. And she came up to me, she was really angry. I said, what's the problem? She said, this workshop is so, uh, she said, it's, it's so, it's so expensive. She was complaining from start to finish. This symposium is so expensive. It is crazy price. And uh, she was really angry about that. And I felt like saying to her, well, the workshop was sold out in about 10 minutes, you know, for all 800 places. So obviously not everyone agrees with you. But I didn't. I was like, mm, yeah, sorry to hear that. And then she says, and besides, I'm sorry, I can't help trying to do her accent, but I'm making a hames of it. And if I get it right, then you know where she's from, because it's a very, very particular country. So I better stop. I'll give her an Irish accent. And besides, <laughs> this is a stupid workshop. <laughs> yeah, let's give her a Dublin accent. This is a bleeding stupid workshop anyway. What are we doing? You feel like I'm in bleeding babies class. That's what she said. She said, I feel like I'm in kindergarten. Um, she said, what is this? I have not. Oh, sorry, I've lapsed into my accent of her. She said, uh, we are just doing baby stuff here. Um, and this is really stupid. So I thought, listen, love, you are having a fabulous opportunity to use an ink that you've probably never used before with a drawing implement that you've probably never used before. Would you just enjoy yourself? Now, and that was the end of her. I won't talk any more about her because she was too annoying. But the work that the other students produced, and you might know who you are if you're listening to this, absolutely beautiful. Sometimes I'm in a workshop and I'm not even just saying this because, as you know, I have a big issue with my ego. But really, sometimes I look and I go, what am I doing teaching these guys? These guys are making beautiful work that they should be on the other side of it. They're magnificent. There really was some amazing sketches of Rembrandt that day and they used the ink itself as the sepia to colour in the darks of the statue that we were doing so the whole thing worked so well oh well I hope I hope my participants enjoyed it as much as I did do you know what it was a crazy week because it was over 40 degrees in Amsterdam that week 40 flipping degrees and the poor Dutch people had been really worried about rain as we would here in Galway that's all they were concerned about they certainly didn't worry about people getting roasted alive and I remember on the first day of my first workshop 
just before we were going in, I was suddenly hit with an attack of absolute terror because I was thinking, oh no, I'm going to lose someone. Someone's going to, someone's going to keel over and faint. Um, and a really nice woman from Adelaide said, she said, here, what we do in Adelaide is we just make a kind of a mobile air conditioning unit. We take our head, we're wearing our head and we soak a scarf in, this is a terrible accent. We soak a scarf in water and we put it over our head and it makes a kind of a mobile air conditioning unit. So apparently that really works. If you wear your big sun hat with a big white brim sticking out, soak up um, a scarf in water and uh, drape it over the top of your hat and you literally have um, mobile air conditioning unit and in fact I did nearly lose someone in my workshop that day she nearly fainted and luckily there was a fountain in Rembrandt's Platz um, god I hope it is called Rembrandt's Platz and I soaked it in water and I gave I had two scarves with me I brought a spare one just for that eventuality and I was able to soak it drape it over her hat and she recovered she was about to faint in the heat um, so I saved the day there that was great so look at that is the story of Amsterdam and my attempts to bring actual genuine oak gall ink to a bunch of happy workshop participants and it was brilliant so go ahead and try it yourself you if I've missed anything you might check it actually online but uh great crack give it a go One of the things I haven't really spoken much about in the podcast is the ink I use. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my ink because people do ask me a lot about my ink. And I have two favourites that I use. And I'm very, very lucky on both fronts. I don't actually have to pay for any of my ink because, first of all, I've got the most generous students in my classes and two of them. Thank you, Jan. And thank you, Kathy. Two of them have sent me lots of ink. So I have one of the brands I, I use is Rohr and Klingner. Rohr und Klingner. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's German. Um, and the type of ink you have to get, you have to make sure to get the one called Sketch Ink. Don't get one that doesn't say Sketch Ink because I can't vouch for whether it's going to clog your pen or not. Because I did. I did actually get an ink from Roaring Klingner once that wasn't meant for fountain pens and I banjaxed the pen. Pity because the colour of ink was divine. It was kind of a, a grape colour. It was so beautiful. Still have the ink, of course, but I'll have to go out and make myself a turkey quill or a goose quill and use it with that. Actually, that's not a bad idea because it does give a lovely line. If you if you cut the nib right with your sign knife, if you cut the nib just so, actually, it's a really nice drawing tool to work with. I must do that probably have some feathers lying around still but anyway the two colors that I love in the sketch ink they're very funkily designed bottles they've got some crazy artist real German looking artist to draw the little uh the little motifs on the front of each bottle they're very they're very crazy so the one I'm looking at right now it's sketch ink and it's a beautiful rich olive green and the color is called Emma so it's a really stunning shade of green it's my favorite color I think of my entire repertoire of colors and I have a lot which you're going to hear about in a second and I love this color because it's brilliant for the foliage that I draw a lot it does need to be a bit fresher and uh, more of limey spring green when I'm sketching foliage in the spring but for the most part for most of the year round I use Emma a lot I love this color it's absolutely gorgeous and there's a picture of a sort of a, a weirdo in a cape and a hat on the front so really really strange picture very strange on the front so you can google that and you can look at the picture 
So that's Emma. And then the other one I love is called Lily. And that is also Sketching by Roran Klingner. And that one is the colour. I always think it's like black coffee, but I think it has a little bit more green in it than maybe coffee does. But I love that one because it's nearly black um, and it's not black. So you get all the depth and darkness of black without actually the dead flatness that black can sometimes bring. Although part of that reason I say that is because I haven't used black for a while because the diatromentous black that I normally use, which I'll get onto in a second, clogs my pen. Anyway, back to the lily. Lily is beautiful and I have been given gifts of that. I was introduced to it by Jan, one of my students who is English and she sends them to me from England, which is so generous of her. So kind, so touched. And the other lovely, generous person who sends me ink is Cathy. Cathy is my other wonderful person in my in my student group. And she sends them, would you believe, all the way from the US. So really, really kind and decent. So I've got I've got enough ink to float um, a battleship, as they say. Well, I don't in the Roaring Klinger. I have a good few bottles, enough to get me go- to last me for ages. But what I really do have enough ink to s- sink a battleship with is the Diatramentus document ink. Now, that is also a German make, and I'm told it's handmade. Not sure why that's significant, but anyway. And that comes in zillions of colours. It's quite astonishing the range of colours they have. And I personally think that's a very, very good thing because um, if you're like me and you just like to really scribble in different coloured inks. So whatever about painting with watercolour, I, my ink is a very, very important and integral part of anything I draw because I'll often, I'll often want to really deepen a colour somewhere in the sketch and sometimes only ink's going to cut it. You know what I mean? So the colour that I use most often in Diatramentus is document brown. So I shouldn't really say that. Let me, let me explain. Diatramentus has got lots and lots of inks. They do millions of different inks. The one I like is called document ink by diatromentous completely waterproof oh i forgot to mention the roaring Klingner sketching is completely waterproof as well which means that you can draw away as soon as it's dry it's going to be waterproof in eternity but you just have to make sure to give the bottle a good shake i do have reports with the diatromentous that it's not fully waterproof if you don't shake the bottle so just make sure you shake the bottle before you load up your pen so in the diatromentous i principally use their brown i love the brown it's a great color i use it for everything it's such a soft organic-y shade and I especially use it when I'm drawing people because what I find is that uh, if you make a mistake when you're drawing people with black it can be very oh that's very wrong it's in your face it doesn't really it doesn't really apply when you're drawing in a kind of a a quirky crazy way but I tend to be quite literal with my drawings so if there's a mistake it's very obviously a mistake it's not artistic license if you get me so I do find that by drawing with brown ink you can end up with a much softer kind of a look um I also of course never go anywhere without my white gel pen which is for another day I suppose um again once the ink line is completely dry if you make a mistake just go over it with your white gel pen not for large areas or anything, just small little bits. And suddenly your line has disappeared. Your mistakes disappeared, which is terrific. So uh, dark brown diatromentous document ink. Another color I love in the diatromentous range is urban gray. That's really nice. It's a lovely, clean gray. Um, really, really nice. Not too dark, not too light. Another one I love is, uh, what else do I like in the diatromentous? Oh, the red, just the plain old red. The red is great because very often you'll find that if you've got a red element in your sketch, it's something quite um, precisely defined. So it might be a stop sign with a, you know, a forbidden sign stripe going through it, or it might be some lettering, some red lettering. 
Uh, might be a little pop of red for something, maybe a little pop of red in a tiny little glass of wine someone's holding. Very often it's something that you want to be very, very deep red. And yet at the same time, um, with clean borders. Okay, so that's that's your little, that's that's a really good use for your red there. So red, brown and grey. And in fact, when I used to sell my little um, urban sketching kits, they were lovely. They were so nice. I only made... How many did I make in total? I probably only made 60 or 70 in total. They're all handmade by me um, until the very end when I got a very skilled seamstress to make um, to make the last few that I sold. I think the last 10 were made by her. She's a very nice lady based here in Ireland. She sewed up my pouches for me that I sold my urban sketching kits in. And the ink samples that I used to provide were those three, brown, red and grey, um, so that you could have a chance to try them all. So yeah, red, brown and grey are the three that I really love to use. I haven't found a green that I'm crazy about in the Diatramentus Document Ink range. I love their fuchsia, their hot pink fuchsia, which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I love their violet, their purpley colour. It's really great. Um, their white, I did have high hopes for it because I thought it would be a good um, colour in terms of covering up mistakes again, but it didn't really work out that way. Again, it's a little bit inclined to clog a little bit. Um, what was I going to tell you about? Oh yeah, co- talking of clogging, the black diatramentous document ink. Now it could be just me, but I have found it clogs a bit in my Sailor Foodie pen. So I am thinking of going back to my platinum carbon ink, which I'm assured never clogs. So I do have some now. They're, they're in cartridges. I don't have loose bottles of them. So what I'm going to do is suck the ink out of the cartridges with a syringe, and just fill up my. I fill up a bottle or something that way and then I'll have some black that won't won't clog so I'm looking forward to that that'll be great the other ink I love and can highly recommend is by Noodlers and the color in that range that I love is Lexington Grey okay and again the very very generous gift of my student Kathy um she sent me three bottles of Lexington Grey so again I won't be running out of that anytime soon and what's lovely about the grey it's the same as the brown in the sense that it's very soft and if you do make a mistake it's not going to fend your gaze really badly so um so there's that yeah I really really do like that and that's about all I have to say about ink for the moment get yourself some diatramentous document ink if you're inclined to sketch and if you want to sketch with a waterproof line and get yourself some roaring clinger sketch ink oh I have to do the disclosure thing, don't I? Diatramentus are very generous to me and they send me hampers of ink. I have a huge wooden crate, you know, the big type you get in Ikea. I have a wooden crate absolutely full of bottles of ink from Diatramentus. I asked for a few samples. Get this. I asked for a few samples for my Dublin workshop last year and didn't Diatramentus only go and send me a whole um, a whole hamper full of all the different colours, red, blue, yellow, brown, green. I have the lot. I have the lot. So thank you so much um, to Diatramentus for doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, Roaring Klingner, uh, I don't have any arrangement with them. So um, so I'm, I'm recommending that just because I think it's lovely, lovely ink. The sketch ink is really nice. So um, but Diatramentus, I wouldn't have recommended it if I didn't love it. I absolutely love it. So I'm wholehearted. Um, What's the word? Endorsement. Wholehearted endorsement of both of those brands. Get you some ink. (music) 
I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's coming up in the near future. So we've resumed our classes, um, the sketch along classes that we do on Saturdays and Tuesdays. Now, the times of those classes will be different according to where you are in the world. But in Ireland, that's GMT plus one. The Saturday classes are from 2 to 3.30 p.m. And the Tuesday classes are from 7 to 8.30 p.m. So two different times. Maybe you might be able to find one of them fits into your schedule to attend the live class and if it doesn't you can always watch the recording if if that suits you better the classes are always 90 minutes long they're always live and they're always recorded they cost six euros and they are usually well they're always from they're always sketches that are made from something i've done from life Um, and on saturdays they're going to be have a nice autumnal theme so on Saturday gone, that was yesterday, we had a lovely jam jar full of rose hips, rose hips from the garden and a beautiful shocking pink magenta rose still in blossom from one of my rose bushes in the garden. So they were really lovely little sprays to do. And in doing what I've done and copying line by line and brush stroke by brush stroke what I've done, you get to... Um, let's say, uh, address the challenges that you'll have when you go out and get your own little displays and put them together for yourself with your own composition and your own choice of subject matter. All I'm doing is trying to give you a heads up for what you're going to come across. For example, water reflections, for example, the shadows cast by water in a jar um, to simplify something that could be quite quite complicated, like a little flower display. Simplifying things is always a good idea. So that's what we're going to do on Saturday afternoons in the sketch alongs. Then on Tuesdays, it's going to be something more closer, I suppose, to what might be considered urban sketching so for example this tuesday i have a little a little class coming up on values and how to get the how to master them and then next tuesday i have something that i think a lot of you would like to do anybody who loves ireland or galway so you just keep an eye at my website and they'll all be there i haven't put them up yet but i will i'll do that very soon roisincure.com or o-i-s-i-n-c-u-r-e you can book your class there um the recordings are always available just after class and then you'll have them um in your inbox for whatever two months at the very minimum um so i, I do have classes that are there longer at the moment on my website uh what else can i tell you so those are the adult classes i do recommend you get the best watercolors you possibly can if you're going to attend those classes if on the other hand you have some small people in your life um age between 8 to 12 um, you can have younger or older, as they say, 8 to 108 if you want. But that's really the age group that I'm used to. Um, I used to teach children in person back a few years ago. And I do love that age group. They're just fab. So I'm going to be starting kids classes. They're going to run for eight weeks, starting on the 24th of September. That's a Saturday. And they're going to run live from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Again, uh, recorded. Again, 90 minutes long. And this time they're going to be seven euros because I want to make a small contribution to one of the um, the groups that, that, that go out of their way to support wildlife in Ireland. So the theme is going to be Irish wildlife for this first eight weeks, but I'll come up with something else after that particular block is done. Something maybe, I don't know, safari animals or something. I won't have an Irish theme um, after that. So if you have a young person in your life, doesn't matter where you're from in the world, Irish or otherwise, I think your child will really enjoy that. You'll need or your child will need some watercolours for that too. 
I, I really recommend the Van Gogh 15 half pan set. They're not too expensive and they're fantastic quality. Um, they'll also need a little hardback watercolour sketchbook. I do recommend an A5 size is, is a good one to get. You can get those in most art shops. And if you can't, just send me an email, sketchwithroisin at gmail.com and you can ask whatever you think would be suitable for your child and I'll, I'll help you. I'll give you the advice on what you're going to need. They're also going to need a paintbrush. The Van Gogh set comes with one in the box. They're going to need uh, a pencil, a sharpener and a rubber. Um, and I think that's about all they're going to need. So, you know, it's going to be nice if they're busy on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday, whatever time it is for you, wherever you happen to be. Well, don't forget, they can always just um, sit and watch the class, maybe when you're preoccupied with something else. So that works for everybody, I think. Apart from that, I just want to say uh, thank you, a very big thank you to those of you who have taken the time and trouble to send me messages of support telling me that you love the classes and that you love the podcast. It means so much to me. It really does. Those personal messages, um, they really, they, they touch me. They really do. They touch me. So um, Adrian in Singapore, thank you so much for your lovely email that you sent me this morning. I I, I was delighted to receive it. And uh, I said to my husband that I wanted to print it out and frame it. But uh, he knows I've, he, he's already fully uh, accusing me of having a massive ego problem. He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> in some respects anyway. So uh I don't know. I think I will print it out because it was so nice. It was just lovely. I don't get emails like that too often. I get lots of fabulous ones, but that one was particularly lovely. Um, And I get messages from people who might be, you know, caring for someone in their lives. um, And the classes uh, represent 90 minutes of taking your mind off, whatever your troubles are. So I really am proud to be able to do that for someone. And in fact, today I was out sketching with um, Paddy. My son Paddy has just turned 21 um, and Paddy has decided he's off in uni now, but he comes home at the weekends to get on with sailing with his with his pal. And he really wanted to go sketching today. And we went off. We had a lovely brekkie and then lovely brunch. Actually, it was absolutely fab. Carb tea rooms. Mm-hmm. And then we went from there to um, we parked up outside the one of the Galway rowing clubs. There's lots of them out there in Woodkey. And we had a lovely view of the Galway Cathedral and the two of us painted the same scene. And Paddy suddenly, he was into the painting part. He'd done his drawing. He's very good, actually. He's he's very sure-handed. And he was well into the painting. And suddenly he goes, hey. And I said, what? What's, what's wrong? What's, what have you done? And he said, this is so relaxing. I, I just, I can't believe it's so relaxing. Why didn't you tell me about this? I said, Paddy, I have been telling you since you were born. I said, I've been, I've been giving you the whole silver platter of sketching means since you were, since you were a young fella, which of course I have. I've, I've got him and his, his brother and sister or his two sisters. I've got them, you know, all the best sketching gear and hopefully the sketching tips as well. Um, but it's such a joy to sit beside your, your adult child and just share that fabulous moment together. Um, and so whatever it is, whether it's your pal or your spouse or whoever it is that you might want to go off and they don't have to sketch, of course, they can read or, you know, scroll around on the phone, do whatever they can do, but it work, whatever. But going off and sketching side by side with someone is just one of those secret joys, I think, that uh, that are so accessible to all of us. If only we just went for it and gave it a, gave it a try. So, look, I want to thank you for listening to this week's episode and as wish you, as always, happy sketching.